to free beers and a movie. Nice. Hello and welcome to episode 172 of Three Beers and a Movie. I'm Richard Laird and I'm with... Barry Neal. Barry, it's lovely to see you because last week we were doing it, it was all based on the phone so I can see you again looking yes. lovely, very professional setup that you've got there compared to myself. Well, say, I like to think I'm a semi-professional amateur because I've got my GoPro currently resting on top of my coffee machine. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. <laughs> I'm just seeing this as an area where you're just sitting playing truck driver simulations, just sort of like wired out your nut on like caffeine, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> Since uh, we've done up the kitchen, the coffee machine get relegated to the computer room and I'm like, well, I'm not complaining. It means no, I don't no, need no. to stand up now for a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> You were going to be one of the guys from like the Wally film, just in a wee chair, just moving around. That's how you're going to be now, uh, living the dream. Um, as a as a, a sad future that it looks like we're galloping towards. Yeah. That's a sad thing. I'm not entirely against it, to be honest. I'm a, I'm yeah. a good person by nature. Yeah, as long as the as long as the robots are cute like Wally, I'm not complaining. As long yeah, as they don't try and kill us, you know. Yeah, I don't kill robots. It's just Wally style robots. Um, so it's about four o'clock or half four in the afternoon on a Sunday. So it's later on in the day. Are you having a little drink tonight or today for the for the pod? I am. I am. I'm having a lovely bit of adult Ribena, also known as Strombo Dark Fruit. Very lovely. Um, yes. I'm on, on the Punk IPA because I got a big. Oh box of that through recently from some of the guys at work for moving house so it was very nice of them to send that through to me uh, so i'm enjoying that um as we normally do we do talk about the camel layers now there is no camel layer football because mm. all the leagues are shut down um but i will mention um scotland seems about scotland as a nation seems a little bit sort of on a happy note right now because of what happened on thursday night did you not did you not feel that just generally there's a, a real kind of yeah yeah happy to scotland get through to the european um Championship for the first time in like twenty odd years. It was it yeah, was, I did see that. I did see it that. Felt nice. I, I woke yeah. up, it feels it really did feel nice. Yeah, and then you had all these people on social media proclaiming to be massive Scotland fans, and you're like, ah, yeah, I settled in, settled in. I don't really see people who weren't who didn't really watch them because I, cause I used to watch them a lot. Scotland, I used yes. to travel and watch them as well. I used to go and see lots and lots of games, and I've over the last like sort of many years, I've fallen away from it because the last time I watched a game until Thursday night was on like August 12th, 2008, I think was the last time I saw it. I actually watched mm. the Scotland game. That was, I was actually at the game, and after that, I just sort of signed off from it all. Yes. So I actually felt kind of intrigued to watch it again. I was in, in, it did feel a little bit like, oh, I've not watched them for the past like, nearly a decade. Should I be excited about this? But then I thought, no, fuck it, it's my country. I can choose to invest as much or as little time as I want in this. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think anyone who judges someone for doing it is sort of missing the point. It's something there for the country to get behind. If you want to invest all your spare time in it, then that is great. If you want to invest a couple of hours a week on it or a couple of hours every couple of months on it, that's your choice. But it doesn't make it any less of an enjoyment when your country does well. You can still get something out of yes. it, I think. Uh, it was actually quite nice. Like, I was working, so I completely missed it. Um, I did know that it was on, so I, at least I was kind of like half acknowledging that half it was on. on. Yes. Yeah, uh, but... I it was just like my, it was actually nice. It was I'm glad that the one because it felt like something the country actually needed because it all over social media it seemed like everyone got a real good kick out of it. So yes. uh that was nice. Um yeah. but then I don't know if you've seen this video. Did you see the video circulating from Edinburgh of these guys standing on top of a of a like a well known coffee chain shop yes. playing bagpipes uh, and all, all i kept on thinking was i am so glad i'm nowhere near that <laughs> yeah it, it, 
in a way, it was like sad because I, I remember watching a lot of Scotland games like in pubs um, and the mm. winner big game. It's such a great atmosphere and it's so and such an enjoyable experience. Yes. The fact that everyone was sort of watching it in their house when we were just like a couple of people, either like your like partners or maybe like the roommate, and it wasn't the same. It didn't feel like the same quite experience. But then you look when you, like you said, you go on social media, it was nice to see that everyone was sort of getting behind and it was sort of it was nice to to see yeah. it all happening. Um, and hopefully by the time June comes around next year, next year we're all kind of at least allowed to talk to each other and go near each other, so we can all get together for a big party. We, got, we get to play England at Wembley, man. That'll be that's always yeah. fun to do. Yeah, you know, we can... yeah. That that's my concern. Like I was like, oh, fantastic, the one, and then I seen the group that they're getting landed in, yeah. and then I thought, ah, fuck, we're back out of it again. Don't care, don't care. Point is, we're there, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really, I'm I, really I, excited well, for it. We're turning up. That's all that ever counts. That's all that ever counts. I turn up, and I, I, I'm really excited for it. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to next summer now. Hopefully, the world's up and a little bit more. I think it'll be back to normal, but hopefully, a bit, bit more normal. That we can all kind of get together and enjoy it. Like you know, even if we're not going to the pub, if we're all kind of like a house party or something, or watching the game, I think that'd be a nice sort of event for us all. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and then the people in Aberdeen will still be in the pub celebrating and going mental anyway, so it'll be yeah, fine. True. And no, did you notice there's a song that Scotland players now sing? I don't know, I can't remember the name of the song, but apparently up until about three months ago, or you mean a couple of weeks ago, it had like a million a million listens on like Spotify. And then after Thursday night, it's now got 47 million listens because of all the good uh-huh. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the song. It's, it's like an old disco hit from like the 1970s that they all sing. Uh, okay. New Scotland fan song, but it went from a million listens um, to forty-seven million listens in the space of like about three or four days, just because it's <laughs> constantly getting played everywhere. Well, that's what um, uh, I was listening to, like a podcast, and and like they spoke to the gentleman that like owns the rights to like the village people, uh-huh. and he was saying it's like I I don't really give a fuck if Trump's using my music. At the end of the day. I's a dick, but I'm the one that's winning out of it because my song uh, is the YMCA is back in the fucking charts for like the first time in decades. Yeah. And I'm getting money again. So I'm laughing all the way to the bank. So he can I, crack I guess it's I guess it's some of the things that if it's more if he's if you're an artist who's sort of attached to the song, you don't want it being used for political purposes, then maybe then you'll be a bit more annoyed about it. But if you're just a guy who owns the rights to the song, yeah, then we don't really care. I, like, you know, the Beatles songs aren't owned by the Beatles, they're owned by some random is it not? Michael Jackson owned them for a while, but somebody else might own them now. Like they own the rights, to be, so they might not care as much where they're used because they're all yeah. they're just getting money from. Well, you... This was this was actually the gentleman that like is like formed the village people. So I'm right, assuming okay. he's part of the village people. But I, he's just like, man, I don't care. This is going to be a good Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> you know. The YMCA always delivers, always delivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sure does. Yes. Um, so anyway, moving on to the films. Once again, everyone's locked down. Cinemas are shut down. It looks like. Britain's pretty much back in a lockdown, like we said, so nothing's opening, nothing could be released. Everything that was about to be released in December has essentially been kicked into 2021 at some point. Mm. Um, so I don't foresee any films getting released in the cinema between now and the end of the year. I don't think it can happen in no. any part of the world. Um, I, think, I think Australia might see a few sort of minor releases, but nothing big to about. So it's very much is going to be for at least the next six to ten weeks. It will be sort of just try to find what we can find on streaming services. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. It seems to be like the only place that's still got like some sort of kind of like release uh, schedule is actually America, but it's all like very small independent movies. I think like Liam Neeson. Yeah, I think it's because a new movie. I because they can afford to go and like say two or three screens and build up a lot of audience and move it somewhere else as like sort of COVID wanes in certain areas. 
Mm. You can't afford to put Wonder Woman out, for example, in one screen. You've got to basically that's got a bit a mass release and to try and call, try and stop people from like pirating and stuff like that. So um you're not gonna see any massive releases. No. Um, no. And more interestingly, not apparently. I think it's James Bond's James Bond producers offered the film, I think, to Apple. Yes. For something like yes. six they wanted six hundred million for it in order to put it on Apple. And Apple basically went, No, it's not we can't bit rich. Bit rich for us. We can't they can't guarantee the money back. That's saying they're gonna, they're gonna put, they're put half a billion just to try try and recruit that money. I don't yeah. think, I don't think it would work. I think they would get that money back. No, they wouldn't because anyone that doesn't have an Apple TV subscription would just sign up for the thirty day trial or seven day trial or whatever it is, watch the movie, cancel, and then go again. You know, that's it could also be that even if you buy that bit like maybe like the Disney Plus had with uh, Mulan, maybe you do get the thing you know, get your app. Mm. There's no guarantee if the film is at six hundred million they paid for it, they won't you put it on for free. They'll be looking more for like it's on yeah. it's on that you have to pay like, you know, twenty quid premium to watch it as well. Yeah. So, but I, I can't imagine them getting their money back based on that. So obviously no. studios are a bit concerned right now as what they're gonna do with some of these films. They're maybe trying to like mitigate the losses. Maybe some of them will end up going to streaming in order to try and pull back some cash. Particularly it does, d- it does depend. It really depends, man. It's like as one of those ones where it's like if this drags on, which touch wood it doesn't. Yeah. If this drags on and on and on into the later stages of twenty one and the cinemas are still like touch and go, then I think come late next year, if the if we're still in the same predicament that we're in now, but yeah. in a year's time, that's when I think the uh the movie producing like companies, they will have to go right. Let's just get these fucking movies out. Aye. Like any streaming service, it doesn't matter. I'll just get them out because yeah. we're sitting here holding all this for nothing. But the thing um, is, they want to try and get a streaming service, they can recoup the loss. Which is fine if you're Disney, then you've already paid the money out. You've already you can just try and get it back through Disney Plus. Yeah, but you'll see. I don't know Universal or Warner Bros. You might not have an app to put it on. So you're, you're you're then trying to sell that to like say Apple or to Netflix or to Amazon. Yeah. In order to get them to put it out, and if you spend three hundred million pounds in a film, you want to try and get that money back, you know, to some mm. degree. So you want to try and, you know, so but then Apple, Amazon might say, well, we're not paying three hundred, we're not paying three hundred million for a film that we can put on this app for free. Yeah, and we don't yeah. think, and we don't know if the the premium purchase, you know, paying an extra twenty quid or however much it is to buy it, is actually generating that much for an audience. And maybe people might do it now and again as a sort of because during like. Mm. The first wave of COVID for like the kids to watch trolls and stuff like that because it was only mm. film out, but they're not going to do that every week. You know, spend twenty quid a no. week to rent a movie because you're not even buying no. your rent in the film at that point. You know, exactly, exactly, and also like I think maybe I could see myself doing it with James Bond purely because those movies do come out like once in a blue moon. Yes. they're not like they're not like animation films which are turned out left right and center but it's like i could see myself doing it but how many other folk would do it you know like i'm not i enjoy the jo- uh, james bond movies but i'm not like the biggest fan no so it's like even my enthusiasm for it is like well uh am yeah. i really gonna bother you know I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm i would watch it because i'm a film fan but i'm not really I wouldn't pay a, like, maybe I maybe pay a tenner for it, maybe. Yeah. But I'm not gonna pay twenty quid for it. The only thing I found I'd probably put any real if I would probably pay sort of like cinematic prices for a watch at home for a rental would be something like the Marvel movies, you know, like your black window because mm. I'm they seem they seem a big they seem a vent enough that 
if I don't do that, somebody's going to ruin it for me by telling me what happens in it. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so like I said, we're still on the streaming stuff, so that's what we'll be for you well. So we're going to touch on... Also, just before we gallop on, uh, I've just quickly Googled it while we're talking. That Scotland song, if anyone's interested, is called Yes, Sir, I Can Boogie. That's what it is, yes. That's what it is. So massive hit party now in the border. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so we'll look at four films. They're on various streaming services. Um, and we'll have a look and see what they're um, see what see what they're like. So the first one up is one that's on Amazon Prime, um, and that is Borat subsequent movie film. I think it's an even longer title than that somewhere, but we're, we're going to go with Borat subsequent movie film, uh, directed by Jason Warner, and it's his first feature. Um, I think he's done a lot of TV and uh, sort of music videos and things like that. This is his first sort of feature film. Um, the plot of this one is set 14 years after the original Borat movie. Borat has been shamed for how he represented Kazakhstan in the previous film, but he is going back to America in order to give Mike Pence a helper monkey that will serve relationships between America and Kazakhstan. And while he's there, he realizes that everyone recognizes who he is and he can't get close to Mike Pence. So he's got to try and basically go incognito there with his now with a daughter he didn't know about, um, who he's trying to sort of basically marry off to a high-ranking Republican in order to sort of mend Kazakhstan American relationship. I think that's a plot, isn't it? That's roughly the plot, yeah. That's a good description. I'll give you that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I could have done a better job myself, yeah. if I'm being honest. So, you know? In the film, you've got Sasha Baron Cohen playing Borat. You've got Maria Bakalov, Bakalov playing his daughter. Um, and also pop up in it is Mike Pence, the current um, American vice president, and also Rudolph Giuliani, who is... <laughs> I think he's Trump's lawyer now, but he was the mayor of New York. He is an yes, he's an interesting man. Um, mm. who you will see on the TV a lot over the next sort of probably the next two to three months. Yeah, yeah, yep. So up front, I'll say this: I was, I'm not a big Borat fan. I don't particularly like Borat. Like I don't, I don't, and also the thing about Borat is what I really don't like about it is I'm not a fan. This is not the fault. I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about the character generally. Is that a lot of these sort of humour? is due to embarrassment of other people. And I have a real problem watching felt like situations where someone's at, well, where someone's getting embarrassed. Mm. That I, I find it real. It's one of, you know, people, you know, you know how embarrassed you feel when something happens to you. Mm. I get that feeling I'm watching someone be embarrassed. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I, absolutely. A lot of his humor is based upon that. And um, so I've, I've probably problems. I've not probably. I, I find it really difficult to watch, and I don't. I, I don't find the funny. I find more. I just find it really cringy. Mm. That being said, I'm a huge fan of Sasha Baron Cohen. I think he's a fantastic actor. I think his commitment to this character is fantastic as well. And not only that, he's a really smart guy, and he knows precisely how to like sort of speak truth to power and make people who are in power who say ridiculous things make them look even more ridiculous. And sort of just he just points a camera back at people to go you're an idiot, and just makes them almost convict themselves by saying some of the most stupid things and just letting them roll with it for as long as possible. And I think it's something that's not done very often. People are always trying to sort of maybe fight and argue and things like that. He doesn't do that a lot. He just sort of lets people talk and lets them go. And it's sort of, the more they talk, the more they, the more sort of ridiculously sound, which I think is a really interesting way of doing that character. Um, what about yourself? Are you a fan of the original film? Are you a fan of Bora? Are you a fan of Sacha Baron Cohen? Yeah, uh, I like Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, actually, not too long ago, I watched him in an interview, and then that's when I kind of realised, like, 
you know, this guy isn't really like a one-trick pony. Like he's actually quite a switched-on. He's smart a very switched-on guy. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, what did I see him in? I seen him in another movie when he was playing like a really straight character, and I'm like. Oh, we watched. We talked about it all week. The Trial of Chicago oh, Seven. He plays. Yeah, the, uh, aye, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, aye. And then I was like, aye, this guy's actually got like the moves. Like this guy can actually like act. But uh-huh. uh, in terms of this character, it wasn't my favorite. His characters that he's ever done. I think yeah. he's he, he's better than this cast stuff. You know, yeah. it. When I started watching it, it did feel a little bit dated. I felt like we were kind of past this. Cast style, but then when it kept on going, and I realized there was a bit more of a cast storyline in it, yeah. uh, that's when I was like, All right, I'll keep going, I'll, I'm invested with it now, you know. Yeah, I think that's a good important thing to say. This film, it doesn't, it starts out sort of in a kind of similar way that the first Borat film started out, sort of in the idea of like, you know, him just sort of walking the streets, but that falls apart quickly because he realizes that everyone still recognizes him. Mm. So he can't do, he can't be Borat in the streets because people know who Borat is and they know what Borat's going to do. Um, I'll give it this. This film was at times painfully funny, like struggling to watch funny. You know, yeah, yeah. The scene at the debutant ball with the daughter <sighs> is probably one of the most like horrendously funny things I've ever watched in my life. Like, I it was one of the things you, you didn't know if you should laugh or just be totally just horrified by it, but I yeah. laughed. Anything that kind of like anything that, in my opinion, anything that kind of like you know, gives the upper class a bit of a shake and makes them yeah. realise that, like, they're still human. It's yeah. it's all good demise, you know? Yeah. That scene, and the scene in the abortion clinic, I thought was just, <laughs> oh, it was, again, just so fucking painfully funny. Like, you just, like, you could see, because you, you're in you don't know what, you know what he's saying is true, but it's just how it's all been interpreted. It's just, it's just so, it's, it's so horrendous to watch, you know, mm. but so, so funny at the same time. Um there was some stuff, it was questionable how much was, like, orchestrated, like, to yes. be, and how much was real. Mm. I think the debutant ball thing felt real. Yes. Where I think the, the scene with, say, I'm trying to think, a couple of scenes, the scene with the in the cake shop. Mm. Aye, that, that seemed... Orchestrated. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You could... I always felt I could kind of tell the ones where the people had an insight into what was going on, you know? Because right. the bit when he's talking to the, the two guys, you see he's staying in the house with the two guys, mm. apparently stayed there for like four or five days with them in character. But they must know something's going on because a camera crew following around. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. how much is real and how much is sort of like, is how much are they playing to the camera as well? Mm. Well, the biggest problem is like because everyone wants the like five minutes of fame now. It's like if if people are pointing a camera at you, you will kind of just go along with it now. This is like also like a dangerous precedent that we're in now, where like folk will just like happily go along because there's a camera there, and you're like, you always have to take a step back and just realize like what you're actually saying and what you're actually talking about. Right, that's it. That's that's totally that's absolutely the point. Is like um, people will do it for the fame and also. How much it does? I think what the big thing about it was how much people can be led in this. Like the scene when he's, mm. we saw clips of it maybe at the turn of the year when he's at the sort of Trump rally, the sort of like the, and he's yes. on stage singing <laughs> as a different character. The stuff he's singing is truly horrendous, but the crowd just sing it back. Yeah, I like, know. they don't know what they just don't care. I mean, if, even if they do know what they're saying, they don't give a shit. They still just rile up. They just come on, and it's just like how easily people be led to what you know. 
the sort of certain mindset. That was the only thing that uh, ruined this movie for me, and it was my own stupid fault. Uh, was the fact that I did see that clip at the start of the year because yeah. that was like one of the first things to ever get shown from the yeah. film, and um, yeah. It, it ruined that moment because that was a kind of big climaxing kind of moment uh, for the film. And yeah. I felt like the kind of joke was well and truly gone by that point because everyone had seen that clip. I think as well, the clip as well that you saw online, it, I think you clear there was more filmed at that event and how much, and that's what I mean. It's, it's, the film is very carefully edited mm. to, to perceive a certain um, sort of narrative. Mm. Um, well or not, it went down the same way as it did in the film. Is, is something to question, and that's thing. It's this, this is not claimed to be a documentary. That's the thing. It's not trying to be a documentary. It is, no. it is a fiction. It's fictional to an extent. It's, it's a it's yes. a narrative. Um, so you, you understand why they read it, but so you won't know how much was real and how much is not. There was a few lazy setups and stuff didn't land. I felt that it was felt just really outdated. The scene in the synagogue when he walks in pretending to be like the Jew. Yeah, the kind of Jewish devil thing. That yeah. felt just really out of place. That felt like that felt lazy for like say thirty years ago. You know, that just mm. that just felt so out of place. You know. Yeah. But what, yeah. Was, what the most part was quite a well constructed smart document, just smart film, you know. That felt of that felt a lazy, sort of very weak joke that is mm. like, it felt totally out of place within the film. Yeah, I I totally agree. That one I felt was just a bit like, nah, is it you know, I just when I watched that, I was just about like, oh, "This is quite cringe. This yeah. is kind. This is just cringy." Yeah, if he walked in blackface, it'd been the same idea. You know, hundred percent. And it felt like that kind of level. You know, it didn't feel like it was anything. All just playing purely stereotypes that should be gone by now. And that that hundred percent out of place. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I did really enjoy about it was, and what I thought was the best part of the film was Maria Bakalova playing like playing his daughter. Mm. Like I thought she was absolutely brilliant. Like she goes for the most part, every bit of the film goes toe to toe with him in terms of like just the sheer absurdity of it. And yeah. at no point does she like blink. She just totally just goes for it in every sense. And then in a different world, she would be given an Oscar nomination at least for this role because it's what she does, it's amazing. She's so good in it. I know, I know. Like she she plays the character so well. Yeah. And the, like so well and so convincing as well that she's his daughter uh-huh. and, and you're just like this is me like why is nobody picking up the fact that like she you can quite clearly tell that she's not 15 yeah and a bit when she's talking about they go like and it's like they go to pick up the cage and she's just like she's so excited to be in a cage with a roof you know and, she, and it's like the way she it's just the way she convinces like that it's that she's excited about this and the guy doesn't even blink an eye like doesn't blink an right. eye about the fact that how she's reacting to it it's just that I thought her performance throughout the whole film was just absolutely brilliant and I think <laughs> I was so to see what she does after this because she just was a hundred percent committed to it and I didn't know from what I see she's not really been in anything like before so ah, okay to be able to do that and to go totally totally Baron Cohen who is one of the best like sort of comedy actors in the world and not look like she was like sort of stretching or look like she was out of place. She just looked like she belonged every inch she belonged there. And I was yeah. so impressed by that. Yeah, I can see like a lot of things landing in her doorstep now because of this. Yeah. Or you know, that might go the other way and people will be like, nah, don't touch her. <laughs> that, that thing could be could she be so um identify with this role, people don't want to do that thing, which doesn't want to do that anymore. You know, which is just that's a one time thing. So you don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna swing. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I think it's a one-time thing. Well, I know it's, one th- I know it's a one-time thing for her, but, but she might yeah. not want to do it again, something like this. So people might, mm. people might want her to keep doing this type of character and she might just be like, not, 
not for it. Um, so yeah, yeah. that as well as that, like I said, the ability for um, Baron Cohen with this character to put like a, like a really uncomfortable mirror up to people is just it's astounding. But again, it's what we talked about with documentaries at the time. I don't think anyone whose mind could be changed will ever watch this film. No. We'll enjoy it we can laugh at people who are getting the piss taken out of them and, and you go like they are we already think they're like sort of they're idiots and they're wrong. Yes. No one who's who's in it who we see perceive as being wrong will ever watch this movie. You know? No. No. You know. So yeah. I so it's made for it's made for an audience, which is totally fine. Um just that audience isn't America. <laughs> yeah, well that audience is America, but even in America, it's, it's the, the, the East and West Coast America will watch this film and laugh and go, ah, look how silly everyone is, and they go, yeah, but they're not going to watch this to realise what they're doing is wrong. It's just you laughing at them again. Yeah. Um, same, like, I always think I would watch The Daily Show and I watch um, the John Oliver thing. I love them, like, they're brilliant, I think they're fantastic, but no one who, whose mind could be changed will ever watch those shows. Correct, yeah, yeah. You know, any, anyone who's so intrinsic with what they believe, they're never going to watch that to have their mind changed. And that's just, it's a problem in society today, more than, more than just, you know, media. Mm. People just have their own views and will not be changed from them and they'll find the evidence to support their own views as opposed to try to find anything different. Yeah, it's a kind of sad state of affairs when, like, when you've got people who aren't willing to, like, embrace a different, like, train of thought. Yeah. But instead of that, they'll just double down on their own ideas and then go and find people online that kind of agree with them to a, to a certain degree, you know? That's and I think that's why, like, we've seen such an insurgence of, like, uh, conspiracy theories on, like, almost everything, oh, you know? You could people will, um, just, people gravitate into their own little community, and their own little community just backs them up, as opposed to, you know, try to question it, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. But, but the film itself, I, I enjoyed it, I laughed a lot at it, I laughed mm. more than I thought about at it. Um, I would give it a very solid 7 out of 10 Hope yourself Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that one 7 out of 10 for me too Because yeah, as it much is very as funny. It is very funny Shot myself in the foot by watching that clip At the start of the year, which I shouldn't have uh, And then Yeah, there's just a couple of moments in it That I just thought it could have done better Yeah you know? the, 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 the scene in the, the synagogue is the one that just really yeah. stood for me Well, and I thought it was, it was excellent um, From that, we go on to a new film called Becky, which mm. I believe is on Shudder um, right now, um, directed by Jonathan Milot and Carrie Murnian, uh, or Carrie Mil- Murnian, sorry. Um, they directed a film called Bushwick, which is on Netflix, and a film called Cooties, which I quite liked. Uh, on, I think it's still on Netflix as well. Um, so the plot of this one is young girl and her father are reconnecting in a sort of a cabin, in the sort of, sort of American summer cabin. Um well, there, the basically there's escaped convicts um, overtake the house. Well, the young girl's got a key that they want. That she's managed to find a key. They're trying to hunt her down and find it while she's trying to fight back. So it's a sort of home invasion kind of movie with a kind of teenage twist to it. Essentially, it's like Home Alone, but if they didn't go off the rails with it, and Macaulay Culkin was still doing it when he was a teenager. Yeah, it's Home Alone crossed with John Wick, basically. Yeah. Um, in the film, in the main, the lead of the young girl Becky, you've got Lulu Wilson. Um, the main baddie is Kevin James, um, which is a, a change in tack from himself. You've got as a father, Joe McHale from Community. He pops up in it, and also you've got Robert Mallet and Amanda Bruegel. So, so they they all turn up in the film as well. Um, like I said, it's, it's a it's a very odd mix of film. You know, it's it's kind of like 
it's a mix. If there's a film out a few years ago called You're Next, which I really liked, um, mm. it's all about kind of home invasion as well, where the girl, so the, the, the twist on that is a girl who's been invaded is sort of survivalist and she knows how to deal with people who are trying to take over her house, so they've kind of yeah. picked the wrong house to go after. Um, also, a lot of, because of the young girl in it and because of, the sort of what she does, it's very home alone. And also, she has, she has this sort of real mentality of like a sort of John Witness to her, like because at one point they hurt a dog, and at the point she just wants like vengeance. Um, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I actually quite liked this movie. I didn't think I was going to like it, um, but yeah. It's, it's not a horror uh, from as much as you would think. It's no. not as much as a horror. I think that's the difference. You, it's more of a thriller with sort of yes. horror, yeah, yeah, yeah. horror elements in it. The only bit that yeah, gave me horrible flashbacks to like probably one of the last true horror movies that I watched was when his uh, his eyeball fell out and he was ah. trying to cut it off, and then I just had flashbacks of like watching Hostel, going like, "Yeah, I'm done with this genre." Yeah, you know, the, the eye bit was nasty. The bit with the boat, I thought, was a bit was like brutal as well. Yeah, though weirdly, I didn't find that that bad. It was more I, the I eye thing. I was just like. Yep. It felt more funny than, than gory. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the brutality in this is more treated for laughs than mm. it is for like the sheer horror and sort of gruesomeness of it. It is, it is done more in a sort of it's not it's not a comedy, it's not it's not like a Shaun in the Dead type thing. No. It's definitely more because at one point it is like a young girl like kicking the shit out of like a grown man. So mm. there is a certain level of comedy that comes from that when as she tries to like fight back. Kind of the same way like in kick ass. You have yeah. hit girl going after guys, you know, it sort of it has that kind of feel to it. It's like, oh, that's really weird to look at, and it's really funny when she gets up her hand. Um, I thought she was excellent as Becky, I really liked her. She had this real kind of psychotic, yes. faraway stare that really worked for me. Um, yeah, yeah, Kevin James, God bless him, he's a comedy actor, he's one of Adam Sandler's kind of mates. He didn't appear particularly threatening to me, he didn't really, to me, he didn't really pull it off that well. It's really weird because seeing Kevin James with a beard, no yeah. word of a lie. I'll try and get I'll I'll get Stacy to send me a picture. He looks like the spitting image of like one of Stacy's uncles, right. and it's <laughs> it's absolutely phenomenal. And I was saying to like um, I was saying to him like send her send the like his kids a picture of like Kevin James with a beard, and he and she's like no, I can't do that because they will start thinking he's put on weight and all that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but in this, in this, he's playing like a neo Nazi, and he just yeah. doesn't convince the neo Nazi. He just didn't have no. it. He's, he's a bit too soft and cuddly. Yes. See, to be honest, like they could have totally left out that neo Nazi bit. Like it, it just it wasn't needed, you know? Yeah, he could just make him, if he's invading your house and he's looking for a key and he's willing to kill people for it. The fact yeah. he's a Nazi is sort of like a secondary. It doesn't really make any difference at that point. Yeah, you know. I, I didn't know if that was just some sort of kind of like really loose tie to like also the fact that the the other lead the woman in it, uh, what's her name? Amanda Bruegel. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, Amanda, like, I don't know if that was just some sort of like kind of like loose tie. Like it just it for me, it just felt like it just. Then it didn't need to be there, you know. No, You've literally just coloured in his head for no reason. Yeah, you know. I think it's a wee bit like there's a film called uh, Brawl and Cellbot '99. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? Yes. Where Vince Vaughn plays a neo Nazi, and he sort of yeah. like, that's like sort of for the first time in God knows how long Vince Vaughn going against type, and in that he plays a Nazi who's like this sheer brutal figure. Mm. And Kevin James maybe going for that kind of like in order to be so different from what he's usually playing, he sort of goes in that direction. Yeah, I think the difference in that one was most films don't portray Vince Vaughn as being big. You know, they don't really show off his stature that much. 
Yes. Whereas in Cell Block 99, it became very apparent that Vince Vaughn is a fucking huge man. Ah, he's, he's massive. Like, he's like six foot six. He's, like, he's an absolute beast of a human being. <laughs> and in that film, they played it off as being, that was a big thing. He was just this massive brute guy. Whereas in this film, or any film, sorry, Kevin James being big is almost the whole point of most of the films. Like he's like sort of the fat friend or the cuddly friend or the sort of the, the overweight guy, you know, sort of like. So the idea that Kevin James is big isn't really a revelation to us all. We all know he's a big guy. Yeah, I know. I know. It's kind of weird. It's weird. But Odd. I can't, I, I wish there was a wee bit more. Uh, from like his uh, co-partners in the crime, I felt yeah. like they didn't really, they didn't really get to do very much. I felt well, like you know, because an interest the, the Robert Mallet character, he's a sort of the big kind of Slovakian, Slovakian-looking mm. guy who's quite softly spoken or quite gravely spoken, but quite quietly spoken. He seemed to yeah. be like sort of quite a sympathetic character at times, you know. So you'd be kind of wondering how's he got in with this guy? Like, what makes him want? You know, what's put him in this situation? Because he doesn't seem like a kind of guy who's who wants to be there. Mm, I know. Yeah, so I know. That's an interesting story. Um, like I said, there was fun levels of gore, but it did lack a real threat. I didn't really feel like at any point the young girl wasn't going to win. Spoilers. Like, it felt like it was all basically in her yeah. face. Like, they seem more bumbling than scary. You know, the fact that she's taken him out felt, you know, yeah, she was very much in charge. Um, and it annoys me as well. They do it. They've done it a few films. They've done it. One Ronan's the one I really hate. The movie. Uh, they, they've done it with a suitcase, but in this one. You don't really get to know what the key's all for. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that actually kind of really mugged me off because I was like, what's the big deal about this key? Aye. Yeah. It felt like a really lazy narrative. Like, if you're going to have it, you've got at least, even the last shot is her finding something. You go, ooh, that's interesting. But they didn't yeah. do with it. Yeah. It's just an easy day. And if it's so important, why was it hidden in a kid's treehouse? Yeah. Well, no, she picked up because remember it was meant to be in the cinder block in the basement. So and was, yeah. and why is it that house in the first place? That's the point. Ah, exactly. You know, because you know, it seemed like they owned that house from what I could sense. Yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. not the not the prisoners, but the the family owned that aye. house. Aye, the family. Yeah. So why is the key there then? I didn't really get that. Um, but it, it's it's I'll give it this. It's ninety minutes long. I think it's about ninety three minutes. So aye, it doesn't hang about because even I was even I was shocked about how fast it was moving. Yeah, you know, when I was sitting there watching it. Me and you always talk about how we enjoy a film that moves at pace, and, and this was definitely it. Didn't hang around, didn't add a lot of shit onto it they didn't need to do. So, for that, definitely credit for it. Um, I'd give it a very solid six and a half out of ten. Cool, man. Cool. Know yourself. I'm going to give it a seven because I enjoyed that a wee bit more than what I thought I was going to do. Nice. You know? I'll be surprised for you. That's good. Um, and also, I just kept on thinking about one of Stacey's uncles in it, <laughs> as being Kevin James. But, you know. <laughs> Um, the next film up is one called The Witches, which is a remake of, well, it's an adaptation of the Roald Dahl book. Um, which is a remake which, of a 90s movie called The Witches. Yeah, so it's a remake of the so Roald Dahl film. The Roald Dahl book came out. There's a movie in the 90s by Nicholas Rogue um, starring Angelica Houston uh, called The Witches. And this is the first, another reimagining of that, that book. Um, this one's directed by Robert Zemeckis, who also did Back to the Future. Recently, he's done Flight, Allied, The Walk. He's Robert Zemeckis, he's done tons of shit. Um, the difference this one is they saw, it's the same rough plot, you know, kid goes to a hotel um, and just happens to be there's a witches convention there and the witches hate children. If they don't like, if they find children, they basically turn them into mice and that's that's a great plan to turn um, or rats. They want to turn the kids into little rats and basically kill them. Um, the difference this one is they set it in like Southern America, like sort of like sort of Texas, Tennessee, Alabama, I can't, one of the Southern states, one of the yeah. Southern redneck states um and it's set in the 60s so that sort of during 
the civil rights stuff and all the sort of like all oh, that okay. kind of, so that, that was a wee twist to put on it. Unfortunately, they've done nothing with that and then actually use it to any great which seemed a bit pointless at that point. Like why set it there then? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's that, that's a point in a minute. Um in the film you've got Anne Hathaway playing the sort of the head witch lady. You've got Octavia Spencer playing um, sort of the good-natured grandmother of the, the young boy. You get Stanley Tucci playing the main the owner or the sort of the, the main guy in the hotel, and you've got Chris Rock doing the narration. So he's looking back on his story and he's telling you the story. So he's he plays the older version of the young boy in the story. Yes. Who's coming okay, cool. okay. So I'll put it there. The 90s version of this film scared the absolute shit out of me as a kid. Mm. It genuinely absolutely terrified me. Um, yeah, that last scene. Oh, the kind of like one of the last scenes when they're all in the kind of like, like convention together. That is deeply horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think we and you are probably the same age, so we probably saw this roughly maybe like five, six, seven. So it's one of the things that had a real sort of lasting impact on you. Like you remember <laughs> it really distinctly. Yep. And I remember I've been, I remember genuinely being very afraid of that film as a kid and having like nightmares about it. And I saw some really horrendous films at a young age, but this is the one that really stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. Um, this one, I would argue, it's. For the most part, it feels a lot softer and a bit more family friendly. It doesn't quite have the same bite mm. and the same sort of constant scare factor. That yeah. another one wasn't scary throughout. Just had moments. This didn't, this didn't have didn't have enough moments of it. Um, so it felt a little bit a little bit too family friendly. It needed a bit more darkness. Mm. And some of the darkness could have came from the fact that not only do you get the witches who sort of don't like children, they treat them as sort of like second-class citizens and even less than that. But by saying that in, in the sort of deep South America, you could have used the sort of the racial politics of the time to sort of maybe amplify that or make it something to do some of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't. They didn't even touch it at all. And that felt a bit odd. Like, why? They felt like a complete waste. Like, it, it, it's almost like saying there's nothing going on at the time other than this. It's like, no, everyone knows what was going on at that time in the Sixth America, but by not putting the film, felt um, disingenuous. You know, did not have it there. Yeah. Unless it's like some sort of like hidden message where like the witch is meant to be the white folk and the, like the kids are meant to be the black folk. If it's like, I can't like a proper hidden message you I mean, know it, it, it essentially was that i think all, all the witches are are white and all the not all the kids but the main kid is, is african-american so i mean you do have that there but it just it, it felt like we weren't sort of explicit enough with you know why i said it in the deep south other than, other than just the one said it there um and halfway is good as the head witch she has she seems to be a lot of fun with it i like Anne halfway a lot her accent does go a little walk about at times. You know, she she's she has right. got playing sort of I think sort of Eastern European, you know, Czech Republic, but the accent goes for a walk at times, you know, you're not really sure where it's supposed to be. Which yeah. is it's fine, that happens a lot in films. It's not it's not yeah. that, it's not she goes Irish at any point, but it's definitely <laughs> um, or Australian. Australian's well, always no, a good one to end up being there's varying degrees of how Russian her accent is. Um but she's not Angelica Houston from the original, who is by far the like, most terrifying of all witches. So, so mm. she's big shoes to fill. She does very well with it, but just doesn't quite have the same range and scope um, as Angelica Houston does. Um, like I said, in terms of bringing the wider concept, race and class doesn't really come off. Um, and also, it just all moves really quickly. Like, okay. It's only about an hour and 40, an hour and 50 long, but it feels like they just they breeze through it so quickly that there's sort of no time to build up a significant threat. Yeah, like, it's 
we enjoy a galloping movie, but you know, you've got to actually build up the story. Yeah, you know? it just feels like they, like they get to the hotel, shit happens, turn into a mouse, and then they win essentially. There's this sort of there's very little in between, it just, it just felt very brief, which I thought was a bit of a shame. And um, mm. also, if you have Stanley Tucci in your film, you've got to use Stanley Tucci properly. You don't just have him in as a week and almost walk on part, you fucking put Stanley Tucci in properly, you give him something to do. Um, yeah, yeah. so that felt a real waste to not use that character. Same Octavia Spencer. Doesn't have enough to do in it. Um, and again, if you put her in a film, give her something to do because she's a great actress. So then it feels yeah. a real shame not to not to have not to have them used. So it's fine. It's, it's a totally legitimate film. It, it's 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 decent enough, but it just feels like they were they didn't really know how far to go with it. And by not knowing how far to go with it, they they put the brakes on it a little bit too much. It'd been interesting to see if they'd been let off the rails a little bit more. Like William Del Toro's on this as a producer, but there's nothing Del Toro about it, which is a bit of a shame. Do you think how he's the kind of guy who would bring a lot to it? Is America's a great director and he just doesn't have enough conviction of what he's trying to do, I think, to, to really bring it home. Um so again, out of ten, same as Becky, six and a half out of ten. Worth a watch. But it is on premium list now, so it's about twenty quid to rent it for the night, so it's pricey. Yeah, so, I, th- I think that's, I couldn't find it in any other way. And when I seen that there was a price tag, I think that's why I never went for it because I'm like, Ugh, it's just, uh, it's not really, that's a bit too rich for my blood. Yeah, you know? it, it felt like a lot of money to spend on a film that's not that great. I mean, not, it's always a rich take a movie, but 20 quid on yes. it seemed a lot that much. So yeah. if you're interested, maybe hang around for a bit because I think, I think it's an Amazon production, so it'll probably, or a HBO production, so it'll probably end up being on. A streaming said probably for the next six months, so it might just be waiting, waiting for the end for it. Um, so six and a half out of ten. Last film, or not even last film, last entry this week is again on Apple Plus, and it is a documentary. It's the third part of a documentary series um, called this one's called Long Way Up. Um, previously, start previously the entries were Long Way Round and Long Way Down, and once again it follows the. Trials and tribulations of Hugh McGregor and Charlie Broman as they go on their motorbikes and attempt to cover some ridiculous distance um, in a period of time. It's just it's a bit it's a travel log as it is yeah. the travel. This time they're traveling from what's the name of the place in Argentina they travel from? It's like a, it's uh, a very famous name, Piera del Fuego, something like that. Tierra del Fuego, that's a place in Argentina. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's like, yeah, one second, it's like pretty much right. Right down the bottom. I think it's, like, I think it's, a, it's a big, very famous car park. It's like Terra del Fuego, I think it's the name of the car park. And they're going, they're going all the way up through like Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, Peru, Mexico, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, all these places yeah. through, uh, through America and finally ending up in Los Angeles. It's like a yeah. 10,000 miles in 100 days. Um, yes. Twist on this one is, number one, they're no longer 20 years old doing it. They're now like in their late 40s, essentially now. Yeah, um, and... Charlie's had a few accidents here and there, so he's a bit banged up now. Charlie's you know? a bit banged up, and also this time they're going to do it on rather than their usual big beast of motorbikes, they're doing it on like electric motorcycles. Yeah, that they've been gifted uh, for this. And it's, again, it's a, it's a it's got quite an environmental theme of like try to do it for the environment, and they're sort of showing stuff along the way. Yeah. So, did you watch the original too? The long way down, a long way up, long way round. Uh... Something you could watch them. Very nice. I did. I did. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I did. I, now, I do love travel documentary things. Like, I, absolutely, I absolutely adore this stuff. Like, I, I literally live for this stuff. Mm. Um, just because it's like 
a lot of the time, well, even more so now, nobody's traveling, but like it's, it's just nice, to see places. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to see like places that a lot of the time that I would maybe just like knock off my list and be like, nah, I'm never going there. But then when I see it, I'm like, oh, actually, you know what? I'm back in again, you know? Well, after but, this one, I think Mexico is most definitely off my list. Mm, definitely. definitely. Well, at least, at least, you know, not holiday, day, like anything that's not major, Mexico is off my list. Yeah. It's always had that problem, though. Yes. <laughs> but no, it was kind of cool because not a lot of people actually go to these parts of the world, and that's what I kind of first initially jumped to. It's like nobody goes to like the bottom of like South America, you know, to start yeah. or end up there, you know. Uh, and it, like you know, most people they kind of like stop around about like Bolivia, you know, they do the salt plains, and then that's about it. Yeah. Um, but very seldom like, do people like. I can't even remember the name of that city they went to. Do you remember it? The one that's got the chairlift? That looked quite a cool place. Oh, it's... Um, remember they got the... Uh, the, the... Yeah, it's La Paz. It's, in, it's, uh, it's the tallest capital in the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that place looked pretty cool. That was amazing. Know? That was absolutely stunning. Aye, right so anyway, sorry. Yeah. So, okay, going off way track here. Uh, aye, so I actually, I really like this. I like the idea of it. I like the concept of it. Yeah. As you know, I do own an electric car myself. Yes. My biggest problem was, at least for the first like, three, four episodes, it didn't show electric bikes in a good light. Now, we do have to say, at the time of filming this, these bikes were prototypes, yes. along with the pickup trucks. So they weren't actually... Like, I really do believe that Harley-Davidson and... Uh, Revon. Revon. Revon, who made the pickup trucks... This was almost like a, a test drive for yeah. them so they yeah, could yeah. take all the data yeah. and then play around with it. And But I just felt like the TV show, get, especially in the early episodes, they get too hung up on the fact that it was like like things were constantly going wrong with the bikes. Yeah. And, and it just never showed electric vehicles in a good light. Whereas, I don't actually know when this was filmed, but whenever this was filmed, 2018. In the space of that time, we've came leaps and jumps already. Yeah. So, like, you know, so there's a, in fact, there's a couple of companies that do have electric bikes out there already. So, you know, but uh, yeah, outside of that, I thought this was great. Well shot as always. You yeah. know, it's great to see the interaction between uh, Charlie and uh, Ewan. Yeah. Uh, it was nice when they went to <laughs> that place in, I think it was Patagonia. Uh, that, that little kind of like, a, like campsite that was running completely off of like yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it was amazing yeah in jungle yeah, yeah like solar panels and all that kind of yeah. stuff that was kind of cool uh, so there was a lot of like positives that I took from it albeit the first few episodes to get completely bogged down with the vehicles and everything else but yeah what about yourself yeah I mean I'm not the same to you I don't know as much about electric um, vehicles and things like that as, as you yourself have been invested in um, so I won't lie the first couple of episodes did bore me a little bit because mm. it, I don't know anything about motorbikes. I'm not really a big person for like transport vehicles like that. So always about motorbikes just I found kind of boring. I didn't really I wasn't really that into it. I am there more for the travel log element of it. I enjoy yeah, yeah. the travel aspect of it. So when I'm talking about how what these bikes can do and that kind of stuff, it was intriguing but it wasn't really that interesting to me. Um, it did yeah. become very clear that if they were going to complete this journey on the electric bikes, it wasn't because the bikes were great. It's because of the amount of other things they might have put away en route that allowed it to happen. If it wasn't for that happening, yes. you know, Ewan's money, the production money, 
allowed this to happen rather than it being something that anyone could do. And yeah, and, and that's where that's where I kind of had to start, like, kind of like switching off to that side of the TV show because I feel like you're not going to see a YouTuber go out and do this, like, like they're now on an electric bike. That's yeah. just the problem. You can maybe do Europe. Yeah. You know, I think the point is as well, in order, we did, to, in, order, in order for a path to be made, someone's got to do it first. Yes. So if they do it first, allows that path to start opening up, then that's important. Yeah. You know, so it is someone's got to be the first to try and do it. And at least then if they do it once and maybe 90% succeed at it, then the next person who does it maybe can get 95% yeah. in the way. You know, it's the point is it's definitely them doing it was and, and probably the best people to do it was they allowed a sort of an infrastructure to be put in place along the route that yes. Just if you and me decided to do it, for example, that wouldn't be there at all. You yeah, know, it wouldn't happen. You know, it wouldn't yeah. happen. So I'm not, I'm not against that, but it did become very clear. There's a lot of, um, what's the word, um, sort of like amendments to the journey that were allowed to happen on electric bikes. And we did do most of it on electric bikes. There's no doubt we did a lot of it on electric bikes because you can't really... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you've seen yourself when they climbed out of like the kind of deepest of like South America, uh, out of like um, Argentina. And they started kind of bouncing their way in and out of the way, all the way up. You did see when the climate started getting warmer, the bikes actually performed really well. Yeah, and yeah. this is a thing with electric vehicles, yeah. unfortunately, whereas the now it's um they suffer badly in really cold climates. But during the summer times, it's fantastic. It's one thing I did think about it, like I was much like the Borat documentary, I was, I was kind of intrigued to know how much was staged because mm. it felt like the first. Like, obviously, you can't account the weather to a certain degree with them. Um, they couldn't leave for the first like five days or that kind of stuff. But mm. how much of where they were parking up and the problems they were having with the bikes was in some way, if not staged, but like made to sound more like more worse than what it actually was, just for the, the dramaticness of the TV show to try and make it mm. sort of, you know, give a bit of a plotline and narrative through it. You know, there might have been problems for sure. But were they as major as they were making out to be? That's the kind of thing I was sort of maybe thinking it may have been sort of just overhyped it a little bit. Same with the, the stuff in Mexico as well, regarding the cartels and that kind of stuff, which I think there is obviously a serious issue in Mexico with the cartels. It's not yes. about that. But how much was actually a prevalent threat to them might have been more of a sort of thing they hyped it a little bit. Yeah, I think the stuff with Mexico, it did seem like that had been kind of ramped up a bit. Maybe, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. They're making a they're making entertainment. Yeah. they're making you know try. They're not they're not there to advertise electric bikes. No. They're there to advertise for Harley Davidson or for uh, Revion. So yeah, purely as it's to be entertainment. It's more it is more of a travel log. It's to try and show you places the world, which they did. I thought they done brilliantly. Like they did show places yeah, yeah. no, but also places that you've never seen before, and and, and I've really yeah. enjoyed that. Um, there's a scene in it. There's a bit in it when it goes to when it goes to Manchu Picchu. Mm. Have you seen that episode yet? Like, yeah, watched, yeah. Then you watched like eight, I think you said. Yeah, yeah. And you're, I'm, I was actually torn watching it because, in one way, I was for McGregor. I'm going like the only reason you're there, McGregor, is because you're very, very famous. You're a lot of money, and your fame has allowed you to have this the life where you can you can go to this place on someone else's dollar probably, and have this experience to do it. Yeah. But he talks about the fact he's been wanting to go this he's a little boy. He's been so excited to go. He can't wait to go and he's so happy about going. Mm. And then when he gets there, there's two thousand people all wanting selfies with him. Yeah. And he couldn't get to enjoy something he'd looked forward to for so long. And I was like, I, I generally did feel a little bit heartbroken from him. I'm going like, oh, I just felt so yeah. sad for him. 
know, yeah, that's kind of like that's kind of like that's kind of felt like this maybe happens a lot with celebrities. Like at the end of the day, they are still humans. They still have like ideas and and like dreams of their own. Uh, you know, it just so happens to be that excited he was like charging ahead and trying to yeah. get up. He was up at like six in the morning to make sure he was there for like first thing, and he turns around the corner and all of a sudden there's like you know a thousand people yeah. on the pitch, and they just felt now ultimately, like I said. He's very famous, and because of his fame and his money, it's allowed him to do something like this, which most people can't ever do. So mm-hmm. there's a, there a balance act there, but it, just, it did feel really heartfelt from because, like, he wanted, whereas Charlie, who's there on the same trip, because no one really knows who Charlie Berman is, mm. he's wandering away and enjoying it and loving it because he can he can do it completely yeah. anonymously. Um, and you saw it a few times happen on the trip when he goes to, like, I think it's in Chile or something he's in, and he's, he's in the restaurant, and um, just all of a sudden, yeah. there's about, about two thousand people outside the restaurant waiting for him, and it's like. You can see just that it's really intense because I don't think he's really used to that as much. Yeah. Um, I, 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 what I like about these like, shows that they do is they highlight things along the way. It's not yeah. just a simple like travel show. It's like they're usually there because they're like UNICEF or something. Yeah. But it's they highlight certain things, either problems or some sort of like center or whatever that's kind of trying yeah. to turn people's lives around. And that's what I quite like about it as well. I, I enjoyed that as well. And I like I like the fact they touch back on the first episode, the first season, when you see the stuff with his daughter. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like he met his daughter on the first trip. Like they mm. went to the orphanage in Mongolia and he fell in love with this young little girl and he wanted to adopt her. And it's like, and they talk about how like at one point they're about to give up. They could have went left one way and go to this UNICEF thing or just patch that and go right and then head for the next town. And they decided that a little bit tougher will go left because we need to do this UNICEF thing. And he said, if I decided to go right, then I would never have met my daughter. And it's just, that's such a such a sliding doors moment. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, I know. It's weird. It's weird. And it does, it makes you think about a lot of things in your own life when it comes to that kind of stuff. It's like, what, what would have happened if I had done this yeah. or that, you know? Well, when you met somebody, if you decided not to go out that night or you decided, you know, to go somewhere different that night, you know, it just, it's just, it, it might want to slide indoors. Um, I thought you and Charlie, they are, they are, they are a lovely couple together. There's a, there's a, there's a, yeah, indeed. There's a real comfortable friendship there, even though they're, they're quite openly at the start said, after the last trip, they sort of maybe fell out of contact a little bit. They sort of, they would text each other back and forth, forward, but they weren't like sort of hanging out. And this is sort of, it was a, yeah. sort of friendship and abstention. They, were, they weren't really quite as close. And you can really see this not only... The, the friendship was there, but it was like they were sort of rediscovering the friendship again. So sort of like why yeah. they enjoy each other, why they enjoy spending time with each other. And I thought that was really lovely for like big chunks of the film. You saw them just remembering why they were friends. Yeah. And uh, you do see it in, oh, I can't remember the episode, but it's the one where they're driving through the desert and it's like, you see that it's, it's not a very well, it's not a very well marked road when they're driving towards the border, and it's like you can actually see that Ewan does actually have a deep, like, love for Charlie because yeah. you see Charlie taking a good couple of wobbles, and he's like, and you see Ewan just being like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, like uh, please don't go over, please don't go over, kind of thing, you know. But it's nice you see that about him. Um, I thought the ten episodes is just about right. Um, none felt overly long or late, or you know, sort of too long. The final one's a little bit too much of a. You know, just a, a victory lap for my liking. It was just, it was a bit kind of like uh, the. It felt the last like twenty five minutes. That was just, it was just, it was just a victory lap, which I thought they've done. They're supposed to deserve it, but it didn't really add much to the story. It didn't really, they didn't really go anywhere to make it interesting. It was yes. like just them completing the journey. So it was a wee bit kind of not let down by. It just felt like a, it was. It just felt like it was a conclusion, and ep- it was an epilogue as opposed to an actual episode. 
But overall, like I said, I'm not a motorbike fan, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. I thought it was a really interesting documentary. I thought they went interesting places. And I just I had fun watching it. Um, and I definitely recommend And if you get time to watch it, definitely put some time in. You could watch it. We binged it in like about three days. We watched like, you know, about four episodes a night for like three days. Um, or three or four episodes a night for, for three days. But you could easily just watch it over the course of like a month, just watch an episode here and there. There's no real kind of big story you have to sort of keep an eye on it. I've been... Yeah, really fun. I'd give it a very solid 7 out of 10. What about yourself? I'd give it a solid 8 out of 10 because I do I like, I pure love this stuff, but it's like, yeah, very much the same same acknowledgement as yourself. You don't have to watch it. Um, you don't have to watch, like, you don't even have to binge it. Like, oh. You can sit there and take your time with it and, and just kind of enjoy it as at your leisure when you don't have anything else on the cards to watch. Nice one. Um, so that's us for this week. Next week, we'll be looking at three movies. Um, the first one is called On the Rocks, which is on Apple Plus. Um, and it is Sophie Coppola's back directing um, Bill Murray in a sort of a family mm. sort of like dynamic sort of breakdown relationship, father-daughter story, which is um, it looks interesting. This has well, been on my list while you pile this one. It's good. Um, it's, I've watched it already. I think you'll like it. We'll talk about it more next week. Yeah. Um, we've also got on Netflix a film called His House, which is about a haunted house, but it's got two asylum seekers in it. Um, and it's them sort of having to deal with not only coming to Britain and being sort of treated as second-class citizens, but also dealing with the fact that the house has got a, a really dangerous portergeisty type thing in it. Apparently it's getting great reviews and it looks really good. And also you've got on Netflix a film called John Henry, um, which is all about it's a kind of, I think it's like an vengeance movie, um, but it's got the big guy from Brooklyn Nine Nine, whose name I can't remember right now, uh, Terry Crews. He oh, plays yeah, yeah. Bob Henry, the steel driving man, um, and I think it's sort of him on a, on a, a thriller vengeance kind of mission. So it looks, looks, an, looks an interesting, an interesting look about it. So um, that's on Netflix as well. You want to tell people where to find us? All the usual social media haunts at three beers and a movie. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's great. And for this week, I've been Richard. You've been Barry. And you've been listening to Three Beers and a Movie.